Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Snap Out of It Radio Network. Hear all our great shows across the world. Join our community at snapoutofitradionetwork.com. So wake up, stand up, and snap out of it. Empowered Love with author, self-mastery coach, and relationship expert, Melanie Tanya Evans. Take back your power, heal your soul, and set yourself free. Free through Empowered Love. And now your host of Empowered Love, Melanie Tanya Evans. Hi everyone, I'm Mel, and welcome to another Empowered Love radio show. And today we've got our next Thriver show, and this is just such an amazing show in so many ways. And it's about a young lady called Stephanie, and she's 32, and Stephanie contacted me a few weeks ago in regard to a song that she'd created and a music clip that she'd done because of her healing journey that she'd been working with NARP from narcissistic abuse and when I opened it up and when I listened to this music clip I cannot tell you how many tears of just absolute oh my gosh overwhelming I'm even I'm finding it hard to keep it together now remembering it of the overwhelming emotion that I felt when I listened to this song and saw Stephanie and her children in this music clip And you're going to have the privilege of seeing this music clip uh, in the blog tomorrow, in the blog post, because it is just exceptional. Now, at that point, I didn't know Stephanie's journey. She'd been working up in some of my other programs, and she contacted me, and she wasn't somebody that had been working email support with me. Um, and, And I was just blown away, absolutely blown away. Now, since knowing Stephanie's story... I'm just blown away all over again because I know a lot of people in the community are going to relate to this very, very powerfully. I know I certainly did. That codependency, that not being able to let go, those deep ingrained patterns that we can have, which means that we're hanging on to crumbs, we're hanging on to abuse, we're hanging on to a a vision of a life that we think we want and we think we need that we're not going to be able to survive without for various reasons and I was most definitely, definitely stuck in those inner programs myself which created a lot of my codependency and narcissistic abuse agony and I know a lot of people in the community uh, suffer from this as well and this is why I think that this story is just such an important story and Stephanie has been so authentic here, so humble, so real about her journey and her story, which is nothing like her life is now, thank goodness. But I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to introduce Stephanie. Thank you so much for coming on and being a thriver today. I can't express how, how wonderful that is. Oh, thank you so much, Melanie. I feel totally privileged to be here. Um, Well, it started, we were in high school together. He was two years older than I was. And um, uh, I sort of knew him in high school. I thought he was very cute and very shy and handsome. And 
really, really nice. That's what I had first heard about him, that he was very nice. And um, so I thought he was friendly to, like, a younger girl. And then um, a year later, his his sister came to school, and we became best friends. And um, so, so anyway, I, I always kind of had a crush on him, but she sort of kept me from him. Um, and then uh, their family hit a crisis, and he, he began to work on himself, and so she she recommended that we start that we start dating. Um, little did I know at the time how how very damaged he was, or or the link to his childhood that had created this damage. He had been um, emotionally abandoned by his mom from right from the start, and then and then physically abandoned by her when he was seven, and um, he was raised uh, just by his dad who had his own set of issues. So, yeah, so then, um, so when I was 21, I moved out to the city where he was living, and we began dating. It was very awkward right away. There was very little romantic feelings. Um, There was just very little to him, very empty conversations. I had a really hard time understanding him, and he would just kind of stand around, like we'd go to the grocery store, he would recommend that we make something together, and he would just stand there and wait while I paid for everything. And um, I, I really like just did not feel like those in love feelings with him. And then, so he broke it off after a couple months, and I had just moved there. It, I didn't actually feel that upset, and but a couple months later, we were talking as friends, and we I felt really close to him. And I felt like he was a really uh, trustworthy friend. And very shortly after we started talking again, he asked if um, I would consider dating him again. And I really took some time to think about it. And and then I said, yes, I would date him. So he proposed really early in the relationship. So what happened with all of that? Well, it was only so it was only two months after he had asked me to start dating him again that he well he told me he was going to ask me to marry him and i i i I told him a couple times not to do that, and he didn't have a job, he didn't have any money, he wasn't in school he he really didn't have anything going for him um so I told him, okay, fine. You can ask me when you can afford a ring, because I thought that would take some time. <laughs> but um, somehow he found it, and he asked me right away. I really took time to think about it. I prayed about it. I was um, really just, I had some hesitations for sure. Um, but something in me said, okay, okay. I, I Honestly, I saw the ring, and I was dazzled by it. Um, so I... <laughs> He had never really made any moves of, um, you know, any displays of, he never had to work very hard. But when I saw the ring, I thought, oh, wow, okay. So um, our engagement was really hard. He he would tell me that he wasn't attracted to me. He was, like I said, he had no job. He wasn't in school. And he was never available. I would call him to spend time. And he was, his response was always that he had to clean his apartment. Um so he he did finally agree to go to therapy with me, and while we were there, um, I found myself trying to explain to the therapist what he was saying. It was like no one could understand him. 
and he quit after a couple of sessions. And I continued to go. Um, I, I very clearly remember at one of those sessions with just her, she, she said to me, Stephanie, do you want the right relationship or do you want this one? And I just could not, I just remember saying, this one, this one. <laughs> Um, I was really hooked in already, and I just couldn't, I could not give it up. And I guess I was hooked in, I mean, we hadn't even been together that long, but I was hooked in because I really believed we were both in, we were both in our own 12-step programs. I was in Overeaters Anonymous for Eating Disorders, and he was in um, Sex Addicts Anonymous. And and I thought that, like, that relationship that we had built was based on um, working our programs. That's what I believed. And I thought that that's, you know, I, I recognized, okay, we have we have had hard childhoods, but we could really support each other and help each other heal through these programs. So um, I also, you know, grew up with parents. My mom just um, stayed with my dad at all costs, and that's what I grew up believing, is that you stay, no matter what. So we considered calling off the engagement because he was so uninvested in it. But um, a community of men got together with him and told him all the reasons why marriage was great. So he he made a commitment to be more involved, and for, for a couple of months he was. And, and it was it was actually it was actually we had some nice times for a couple of months. Can I just back up? I, like it was there was a key part that I forgot, which was that right as as soon as we got married, pretty much um, within a month, he quit his program. <laughs> um, and. And and this is actually a very important thing of what I said to him at the time was, oh, well, what if you down the road fall in love with um, a flight attendant <laughs> when you're a pilot? And he said, oh, if anything ever comes up, I'll go right back into my program. And that was just, that was important to, to say that because that was some foreshadowing. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, um, we were only married four months, and I I found out I was pregnant. I I I totally I grew up loving babies and babysitting. That's what I did all my all my life, and I was a doula, and I couldn't wait to have kids. But I was like, I was really terrified because um, we were really not in a position to. Um, uh, had children. Um, I was just, I had just gotten a job. I really was excited about working in a Waldorf kindergarten. And he was delivering newspapers at the time. So by the time our son was born, um, he was somewhat helpful, but I was, I was blown away. I had no idea how much I was going to be totally in love with that baby. Um, because I had been so scared in the pregnancy, and I just, I had never felt love like that when I met the baby, our son. And um, I was also very shocked by how 
how uninterested he was. He he almost seemed scared of him. And, um, you know, as soon as the baby would cry, he would hand him back to me. And, um, uh, and he was somewhat helpful. Like, there were things that he did that were helpful, but... Um, but I was just, I remember noticing, like, why doesn't he seem into this baby? <laughs> um, so we were on living, uh, I did not end up going back to work, and I really wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. I just couldn't leave my baby, and so so we were living on his salary of, of newspaper delivery, and we were living in a two-bedroom apartment, so we moved into a one-bedroom apartment, um, and then, uh, when, when our son was about six months old, we decided to move back across the country to where my family was so that he could finish going to college to, um, pursue his, his flying dream, his dream of flying airplanes. Then two months, uh, two years later, I became pregnant again. Um, he graduated college and we moved to, we had been living with my parents and then we moved to an apartment. And at that time, he got a painting job. And um, again, when the, when when our daughter was born, um, I was I was in a pretty hard place and just suffering from depression from the pregnancy. And um, a bunch of friends paid our rent so that he could take a week off of work. However, he. Uh, he said he was going back to work anyway. So three days later, he went back to work, and I was just completely overwhelmed and was really suffering from postpartum depression. Um, we lived in a second-story apartment in a parking lot on a major road, and I had a little two-year-old boy who just had tons of energy and needed to run around. We had a big dog, and I really wasn't supposed to be going up and down the stairs. Um, well, I recovered from the labor, but he he regularly forgot to take the dog out and was just very unavailable for help. And I would I would find myself trying to <laughs> hold this newborn, make sure the two year old wasn't running out into the road, and get this dog down out to go to the bathroom. And um, as a result, I I bled for nine weeks. And then five months later. Um, we we moved to another apartment that had like a yard and um, was a place that my son could run around. And we I just remember sort of a foggy time in my mind, but I remember we fought a lot. And we were there for about six months when he said that we couldn't live there anymore because it was too expensive. So it was like I was always trying to compensate come up with a new plan. Okay, how can we find something cheaper? Um, this was also a one-bedroom. So I I came up with a plan that I would move with my kids an hour away to live with my alcoholic father, where he was the caretaker of a really neat property. So it was a beautiful place, and it was free. Um, my husband at the time uh, rented a, a room in town so he could keep painting and my plan was, okay, we aren't paying any rent. Um, we can start saving some money so we can, you know, get a better apartment or something. 
But after a couple months of me being there, he decided to quit his job and move move up with us. And I was I was glad to have him there. I had missed him, and I always was trying to pull him in to be a part of the family. And um, but after a couple months, it was just horrible. There was no you know no one had a job. There was no money. He refused to get help. I was really getting back into my programs and asking him anything, like asking him to just, will you read this book with me? Will you get into debtors anonymous with me? Well, is there anything we can do together to work on our problems, you know? And um, he was just really, he would say yes to all those things and participate for a couple days or a couple chapters, and then it was always, I'm never doing that again. And then, so, so all the money that we did have would go towards his flying career and towards his um, uh, getting new licenses, getting training, getting, and and at the same time he was amassing massive debts, and they're up to ninety thousand dollars, and he's still he's still going into debt. Um, so at one point, uh, the car that we had broke down and I was um, in town visiting my sisters and I I just ended up staying there for a couple of weeks because I had no car and no way to get back. So at that point I um, wrote to, I found out there was an emergency financial aid community, I mean committee in my community and people told me to write to them to help us get a car. So I did and um, they gave me some money for a car and and uh yeah and then he wrote to them to ask for $4000 to help his flying career which they granted him and he then used it to buy himself um the materials to build a a booth to paint his model airplanes in and it was just kind of like every resource we had went went towards this flying it was just that was was like this vacuum of every resource was that was like the most important thing and um it was full of big promises that were never met you know every time it was like oh i just have to get through this license oh i just have to get through this training and i'd help him and then think okay now you can get a job that will make money and then he would you know break the news to me that, oh, well, actually, there's going to be one more. Oh, well, actually, the, um, so just years of that. And I, it was really hard because I thought I was doing all the things that I was supposed to do, that I could do, you know, spent oh, with with him there and my dad there. I had some time every morning that I would spend an hour doing, like, you know, um, my Al-Anon program and praying and meditating and at the same time things were just getting worse with us so I didn't I just couldn't figure out you know what what was wrong how could I uh, what could what more could I possibly do if I was doing the you know what I thought was the um, the answer so uh, the house we, we were living in, um, it was for sale, so so that was always making me nervous. And we moved. I realized how isolated I was 
we didn't know anybody out there and um so we so we moved back to into town where my my community was um so he found a job landscaping and and it was actually great we had an apartment i was like okay good we're going to stay put because we we had moved i think I don't know, at this point, um, seven times since my son was born. <laughs> and I was like, okay, we're just going to stay here. We're going to save up money. Yeah, that was always sort of the goal. And he um, he worked there for a couple of months, and I was starting to actually create a savings account, which we had never had. And um, then he just decided he didn't like it, and he quit. So I was beginning to see this pattern. <laughs> finally um <laughs> and so for about four months that he was unemployed then he he went to one of um one of the flight schools where he had had um gotten some training and he was hired to be a flight instructor, so he was totally thrilled and I was happy for him and uh his first paycheck then was a hundred dollars <laughs> and um so, yeah, so that's... Yeah, okay, so things got worse, which we would assume they were going to get worse. So so describe what happened when things became really bad. Okay, so, um, so we had one car, that one car that I had bought with that money from the financial aid com- committee and... I also borrowed money from my sister, and um, like everything, he just assumed ownership of it once he got that job. Uh, with the landscaping, he was local, so I could still use the car, but this job, there was no discussion. It was just, he was going to take it, and he would go to work with it five days a week, and on his days off, he would use it to do errands, and <laughs> I remember trying to go to this chiropractor, and they would try to set appointments with me and I was just like I don't have a car I have no way of getting here <laughs> I'm pregnant and have two little children I can't get here well why don't you you know just trying to explain no I, he just takes it there's no way there's nothing I can do yeah and and I just felt again just that total powerlessness and confusion because uh, a lot of I had a lot of support women in my life and they would tell me um uh when your husband's doing what he loves, he becomes a much happier person and he's a better husband. And that was just actually not at all what happened for us. He just seemed to spiral downward significantly. He he became angrier, more unavailable. Just as soon as he got home, he would retreat to um, the one of the rooms where he had um, his model airplane set up. And um, and he was just um, really getting worse with the kids, especially our son. Oh, golly. <laughs> She's getting all, all the wires down here. Okay. And uh, he... Yeah, did you want to go watch a movie? Um, so I just... It was really... I became actually scared to um, leave the kids with him at all. He, at one point... 
when I asked him to watch, he would, he would call. He would call watching the kids babysitting because he wasn't <laughs> like, "No, you're their dad. You're not babysitting." Yeah, yeah, gosh. That's what he would call it. And and one time he was babysitting. He took the baby for a walk and left my four-year-old son home alone. And um, he he got into screaming at him, saying, "I hate you" to this little boy. Um, no one likes you. You're a horrible person. I wish I was not your dad. Oh, yeah, awful stuff. It was horrible. I would, and I went to saying, "Is this normal?" I just didn't know what to do. I felt really like, but I was committed. I would do anything. I was going to do anything to um, fix my family, and. And I just kept thinking, if I can get myself better, if I can figure out how to be nice, if I can figure out just the right way to treat him, like, my key. Um, and so when the times that he was at home, he was either working on his models or sleeping. Like, he just slept all the time. <laughs> and I was... Yeah, like I said, it was it was it was it, I was in a dilemma because I knew that I needed to go to my Al-Anon meetings, but I was scared to leave the kids with him, and uh, I really felt really really trapped because uh, often the rent wasn't paid or the bills weren't paid, and we were in a tiny two-bedroom apartment. We had a big dog, and I was. Um, like I didn't know where I could go. I didn't have parents that I could go to at that point. The place where my dad was living had been sold and he moved to um, Georgia and my mom was in a one-bedroom apartment. And, um, there was I just didn't have a place I could go. So And I knew we couldn't afford or I couldn't afford a, a, a separate place. Um, I just really... Um, and I was just, again, in so much pain because I wanted to know how to how to sort of drop the rope. I wanted to know how to treat him differently. I wanted to know how to, but I did, I found myself yelling at him and blaming him and resenting him. And it, it just, it seemed to me that the more I needed him, the more vulnerable I became to him, the more he just would withdraw and uh, become more and more unavailable. Like he, <laughs> and I just always felt like um, I was just trying to keep my head above water. I had these little children that I loved with all my heart and wanted the best for them. I wanted, you know, I was very idealistic about how. Um, Yeah. Sure. Those were some of the the saddest times for me. Um, so there came a point where they got a virus, um, and they they had been throwing up for five days. They were not keeping any water down, and I had a friend whose whose son was on the same cycle with the virus, and I consulted her, and we decided it was time to go to the to the ER with them, and it was it was in the evening, it was a night, 
and I couldn't take both of these children by myself. I just because they couldn't walk. They were they were not able to walk at that point. And he so I begged him to help me. He kept saying they didn't need to go and he was angry at me because it was evening and he was going to miss his sleep for um work the next day. So we got there to the ER. They were in separate rooms and she, my daughter, they couldn't even find a vein to get the IV, and eventually they did, and they did. The, the kids did recover, but um, it was really scary because they 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 would have died from dehydration. Um, but yeah, he didn't he didn't want to this routine disturbed, and that kind of thing just like it was just deeply sad and confusing to me. <laughs> I didn't understand. Um, yeah, well, it's it's just not our normal range of, of understanding of children or life or parenting. Yeah. It it just isn't. So when did you become pregnant with your third baby? Right. Well, I had actually just started, I had just recorded my second album. I was, like, starting to... Um, get back into some independence and be able to, you know, pursue my music. And then I became pregnant with um, my third baby, which, again, it was, a, it was a shocker, and I was terrified. But I, again, like, I loved my kids so much. I loved my babies. And um, so, so that winter, um, we didn't have any heat. And like I said, I, was, I had just become pregnant. Um, we couldn't afford. He he tried to get a an account, and his credit was too bad, so we couldn't even get um, an account. And then my sister told me that um, it was illegal to have little children and no heat. So I I set up an account with him. I my credit was okay. Um. And um. Anyway, it was that was an ongoing issue with the with the heat because it was so out of control, and we had a very unreliable landlord as well. And um, yeah, um, then so while I was pregnant in the spring, I got a little uh, gardening job just so I could start earning some money to make for myself, so I could start trying to crawl out of this hole and. Um, I opened up my own bank account, and when he saw that I was beginning to make some money, and it was literally, it was about $200 a month, it wasn't much, but he stopped allowing me access to our mutual account. So I was I was on food stamps so I could get food, and the little bit that I had was what I was allowed to use for, to buy anything I needed for me or the kids. And um, again, still, he was often late on the rent or paying half of it or not paying the the bills and um it was like he didn't even know i was pregnant he was totally unsupportive and unavailable he didn't even know when the baby was due <laughs> um and <laughs> i i i remember telling him i was really concerned about when the baby was going to be born, I wouldn't be able to 
I'm working and I need to be supported. And he said that he said he realized this and that things would work out. That was kind of he would just always ah eh, things will work out. And I had had a really um, challenging pregnancy because I I didn't know I had Lyme disease. Um, so I was I was struggling with this weird dizziness and vision problems and my heart was racing would race very fast and um, I was just starting to have all these weird issues and I, I panic attacks I could not oh it was just awful trying to be with my kids like everywhere I went I was just trying to keep them entertained and it was just like this craziness and um, I really I thought I was going to die I thought I had a brain tumor <laughs> Because I, I went to all these doctors and they told me it was an ear infection and um, they could not get to the bottom of it. And um, the week that I was due, I um, our house was infested, like totally infested with fleas from our dog. And he just, as usual, denied that that was happening and um, wouldn't do anything about it. And I was just in major panic attacks trying to come up with a solution. I didn't want to have a baby in with all these fleas but I didn't want to bomb the house I didn't want to have all the chemicals everywhere with a newborn baby and so it was really um really intense like I was literally in labor for a week because it kept stopping from my panic attacks um so then she was finally born on a Sunday evening at 5 30 p.m and uh my mom took my older kids overnight while she um, for that first night that she was born by but by nine the next morning she dropped them off and he he literally looked at me and said what you expect me to watch them <laughs> and I was like uh yeah <laughs> this baby and I just went through labor and um he he went to sleep for the rest of the day my sister did come to get the kids and that was I was really grateful but the, the very next day he went back to work and it was just like anything I asked for. And I had even like designed this whole community to help me based on my, um, you know, experience from my other daughter. I was like, okay, I know he can't be there. I have to not count on him for anything, but you know, there's only so much everybody else can do when I wake up. It just takes unsupportive to a whole nother level, doesn't it? It's, it's just astounding. Oh. So, you know, when we think that things can't get worse, they they did because you had another you had another health issue with the new baby. So, yeah, please share that. Sure. Um, so the baby was um, uh, she, she was born. She was breathing extremely fast, and everything else about her was normal. She was. Um, at the time, she was a good color, and she was nursing fine, but um, her breathing was, was extremely fast, which is a huge red flag with, with the newborns. And uh, after, when she was six days old, there was a hurricane going on, so I was told by my friend that we needed to be in a place with um, a basement. So we went over to my mom's because she had a basement apartment. Uh, the kids and I, he refused to come. Which was, again, you know, she was six days old, and I was like, how am I going to go up and down the stairs? <laughs> um, um, this is 
And uh, so he said, no, I'm staying at home. I don't want, I'm going to go to work tomorrow and blah, blah, blah. And so my mom saw the baby breathing and was freaking out, even though I had, I had made phone calls about it and nobody seemed to, um, anyway, they dismissed it. And so my, finally the midwife told me and my mom, if we both were worried about it, we had to take her to the ER. So I tried calling him to see if, you know, my mom was freaking out, like, well, he's going to take you, right? <laughs> and he, he wouldn't take me, and he wouldn't watch the older kids. So I found a neighbor to just drop them off at their house. We drove through the hurricane to the hospital where the ambulance wouldn't come out to get her because it was too dangerous. Gosh, that's just incredible, isn't it? Oh, it was horrible. <laughs> So, so then, 
Okay, so you you finally got some treatment for that, didn't you? And and started to regain your health. Yes. Yeah, and then you stood up and and went, okay, well, obviously I'm going to have to protect myself and my babies, and I'm going to have to start making some money because you're getting nothing from him. Right. So so what started to happen then? Um. So I, well, I I went to an an aunt of mine and just like, what am I supposed to do? And she recommended a um, network marketing company. So I did join one and I really loved it. And I was really inspired by, they were, they really uh, emphasized doing inner work and like hypnosis and um, affirmations. And I found it really inspiring and helpful. And I was starting to make some money. Um, so that was great, and uh, but so at that point he told me he was probably going to get a job in Ohio where he'd have to train for six weeks, and so I um, decided to go see his family out in uh, out west, and I booked plane tickets for me and my kids, my three kids. But over the summer, like, the mold was so bad, and we had another... I always say, like, that apartment was like the ten plagues. There was something <laughs> going on there at all times. There was, like, some bug infestation. And at that point, we were, the kids and I were sleeping outside in the tent. And and I just told them we really had to move. And um, so we threw out all our furniture and a lot of things, and we uh, put the rest of the stuff in a storage unit. Well, um, like, so again, my plan was, okay, we'll go on this trip, we'll go away for two months, You, you we won't be paying rent, so you can work and save some money. It's like the same thing, the same cycle. Um, and he, so we, we moved in with my mom for a month, which was extremely hard. And um, then I went, so so he didn't get the job, but but my kids and I got on the plane anyway. And, yeah, I, it was like this, right away, there was this huge relief of how much easier it was for me to parent my three kids. Um, even, you know, being in someone else's house, that can be hard with a little toddler. But... Um, but uh, without this delusion of a partner that I thought was going, you know, that I thought would be there, would be a, a, a parent with me. But I was really, I noticed it right away. It was easier. It was easier by myself. And, um, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't miss him, but I was still hoping. It wasn't, I still wasn't giving up. I just, I was still, as I looked back, because, you know, like after the the, tra- the trauma, I, I sort of couldn't remember anything. So I'd go back to my journals to find out what happened. And I looked at them, and every day there was a reflection on how, you know, what I was observing in other couples. And okay, I can be this way. Okay, I was I would write five things I loved about. It. I was like, just still, still trying. Um, and it, it is an amazing. It, it is. It's amazing. You were taking on this an enormous responsibility of what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And we can all understand the law of attraction, and we've got to look at the things that we appreciate. 
facilitate to create and manifest more of those in our experience. But where it can really, really go wrong is when we we say, well, look, this when we have to understand this person just does not have the resources. Yeah. 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 They just they don't have it to step up, no matter who I'm being or what I'm being. So I then what happened? So you're with your mum, and and you were still hanging on to the hope at this stage. And then what happened from there? So I was on this trip. We were out west, um, the kids and I, and oh my goodness, like I, I, I still, I'm like, how did I do that? We had two suitcases and I had two car seats and I took them through um, to five different cities by myself on airplanes. Wow. I don't know. I was kind of crazy. But um, because um, we still had no place to come back to. So I was just, okay, we'll go here next. Okay. And and honestly, I was like, I didn't know if we could come back. I didn't know if we were going to come back. But, um, but, um, so finally at the end of October, we did come back. I, cause what I noticed was how much my daughter missed him. And that really surprised me. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to break that up for, for my kids. But um, so we came back, and I, again, it was two months later. I thought, the, well, it had been three months of no rent, that we were paying no rent, and I had thought he would uh, save up and find us a place to live, which he hadn't saved anything. He didn't find us a place to live. He was still living at my mom's, which we were not invited to, to do. Um, yeah. And he would say, um, yeah, well, you know, I agree with her. I don't want you here. You guys stress me out. You've messed up, you messed up my routine. Wow. That's amazing, <laughs> isn't it? Well, it was because, you know, I had been to just five different cities with these three children. Everyone that met them thought they were incredible. And we were staying at their houses, you know. Mm. So I was like, could it really be me and the kids that, you know, the two people who I'm closest to in my life, you know, like, I mean, I should be. My my husband and my mom are, hate me and reject me. And oh, my, that's so painful. Totally. Uh, yeah, and I just... Yeah, and you can see went, how this has all been playing out. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And everyone yeah. just loved them. They thought they were amazing kids. And I used to just be like, how is it that everyone who's ever met them loves them except mm. their own dad? And yeah. when the people in the community see your children on the video, they will just, they'll know what you mean. Like, they're just adorable. Oh, they're just so, oh, they're, they're adorable. There's no two ways about it. <laughs> so, yes, it's certainly not you and the kids that are unlovable. That's for sure. So, oh, my goodness. So then where did you go? What happened then? Um. So. When he was saying, don't come back. Right. Um. Well, we... We, um, I just found different friends. Like I call, can we stay with you for a couple of days? Can we? And I managed to get a couple of days in with different friends. And then, at one point, I called his aunt, who lived an hour and a half away out in the country, um, and asked if we could spend a week there. And, um, and she said uh, that we could. So, I was going to, um. And at this point, sorry, he had begun to tell me that he wanted to go our separate ways 
and he didn't like being a dad, he didn't like kids, and he didn't like marriage. And I asked if there was um, another another woman, and he said that that was part of it, but, but the main thing was those other reasons. And I, I was, you know, I had just, like, shifted into this total commitment to the marriage and just was crushed and asked him to reconsider, and and he said he would. So so there was that stress on top of everything, but that was now on my mind. And um, Well, he was definitely being honest about his actions, wasn't he? Yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, yeah, he was actually being really honest. Yeah. Because that would be, yeah. It was. Yeah. And... Um, so I called her and we she said we could come stay with her for for um a week or two while we continued to look for apartments. Like we were gonna look I was gonna look here in the country while he was gonna look in town. And um and just nothing we just we actually couldn't afford anything. Like I would call the one bedroom apartments and they they it was illegal because I had three children. They wouldn't let us rent there, and that was all we could afford. And um, so we came up and stayed with her, and um, it was extremely stressful and confusing because I wanted to see him. I was like, you know, it was just like my my good behavior was on overdrive. Like, okay, now I really have to make sure that I do the right thing because I'm, you know, threatened by this potential, you know, leaving. Um, he would just tell us to leave. Like, I'd come he try to stay with him at my mom's, and he just didn't want us there. He, want, he said we messed up his routine. And um, let's see. So that just went back and forth, and me trying to figure out uh, just trying to figure out what was going on and where things stood, and you know, I do feel like I, like at this time, I wish I had known how to just um, release my fear and trust. I mean, that wouldn't have changed him, but at the time, I did a lot of crying. Like, well, you know, are you in, like asking him questions? Are you in love with her? How involved are you? And and he really. Um, wasn't giving out like he would give a little bit and tell me something well no we're not involved you know I haven't told her this I and then he would then he would make a commitment to me and tell me he would um, stop being available to her <laughs> and then would reveal a little more like um, oh well actually I'm going on this ski trip with her and like what wait what you know I thought you just said you were going to be uh, committed to me, and you're, and he would tell me he's still going to go. He doesn't, and I had to just trust him. Um, it was just a lot of back and forth, and I and and yelling at me in front of the kids, and uh, like at one point I just said, like how could you, how could you want me to help you break off? You know, he told me oh, I want you to help me break it off with her when he had told me there was nothing going on, and that thing to me well, what do you need to break off if there's nothing going on? And he told, he asked me for help, for advice of how to do it sensitively. And, I, yeah, again, it's like, oh, that's great that he's being honest, but um, I was just extremely hurt. Like, how could you care about her feelings when you don't, you didn't care at all about mine? And 
And he said, well, because I'm in love with her and I hate you. Oh, yeah. Just horrible, isn't it? The mind games and things that you went through there. And this is where your inner core wounds were just being so ripped up to the surface with what he was doing. That whole fear of abandonment and that fear of that what we go through with that codependency, that fear of not being loved and trying to hang on to crumbs and selling our souls to try and get that approval and that love from somebody who's unavailable and or disordered. Yes. It's terrible. And, it, and you do. You feel like you're going to die. You feel like you, you want to die. Yes. <laughs> and I can only imagine, you know, Stephanie, at that time, um, you know, your kids would have kept you going. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, because there was all that back and forth and he kept promising you know, and he made he made a solid commitment for three months i asked for it in writing in contract because i didn't because it had been so back and forth and then yeah. i and i did i thought i really did think i and it wasn't necessarily at that point a suicide it was um it was i just thought the pain itself was going to kill me yes yes and totally how can you relate. have that to anybody unless they've been through it it's just you can't you can't <laughs> It is just so huge, and um, and yeah, I did um, the only way I was able to survive was was because of my kids. And I mean, I, looking back, I can't even believe that I was still at times able to continue caring for them and even smiling and laughing with them. And play. like, how did I do that? I don't know <laughs> because I I I was in. So much pain, and it's like I—it was like a, a massive hole around my solar plexus that was just oozing out. You know, like that. I just—that's how, how it felt. Like I was just losing so much. I lost a lot of weight, and yeah, I—I I don't know what else. Um, yeah, you're in trauma. You're in survival. It's, <laughs> it's all of those deepest deepest inner child survival program mm -hmm. that are just fully activated and we're in them and that's what narcissistic abuse does it really does so eventually the real discard came mm -hmm. when it ended what happened well so uh he made it he made it six weeks into the promised three-month commitment and he texted me that his heart wasn't in the marriage and he wanted to be friends and he, at that point, had told me that the girl had nothing to do with it, but it was just that it didn't work out between us. And, um, yeah, so I, oh, at that time, I was just, I, honestly, when I got that text, I was like, well, I've gotten this one how many times before? I don't even, it was almost like I was, I just, it sort of didn't phase me in a way at that moment because he'd gone so back and forth and, um, but yeah, at that time I, I didn't know about peptide addiction, um, but I just was like, I knew right away that I was committed to, sorry, let me turn this down again. Um, but I did know, I made this commitment to myself that I was just going to be there for myself, no matter what, no matter how painful it was. I wasn't going to use anything to cover it up, and I was just going to feel it. Because something in me told me that I had to feel it if I was going to heal it. 
that um, I, it felt like this primal, like, I, I, you know, I think that, I mean, I know my kids were traumatized by the the crying that I did uh, at the time, but, um, but yeah, um, I did feel like when I asked him to make that commitment, those three months, that uh, there's something told me no matter what the outcome was, that by then, if I could make it three months, I was going to survive. So I did make it to March, and I did survive, but it, I mean, it was by no means, <laughs> I was by no means uh, doing well. <laughs> he he texted, he sent me a text that I had to get um, my stuff out of the storage unit within a week or he would throw it all away. So we drove up in the snow, and we did get it all out, and... And, and then again, like so, I had filed for to get full custody of the kids since that's how it had been anyway. I was their full-time caretaker from the beginning. But and so when we met for that for that conciliation, I was just devastated and so much pain and so confused because I couldn't figure out. I just could not figure out how. I could still be wanting this person yes. so, yes. but and how he could be so just devoid of emotions. Like, yes. like I knew this wasn't healthy, but mm. I was also just completely in so much pain. Like, why don't you care? Like, at least about your. Um, and that's right. You know, it's not logical when we're coming from the wounded child part of ourselves from childhood and we're trying to get somebody to give us what our parents didn't. Yeah. It's not logical. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so there were people that said, well, you weren't happy with him. I was like, I, I know. <laughs> yeah, why would I want this man? My goodness. You know, I could tell you a thousand reasons why I... Why I don't, but why emotionally do I still feel hooked in? Yes. And that's our wounded child within. That's what that's all about. So now you found out, didn't you, later on, that he actually was seeing this girl, that there was was something going on, and that hit you really, really hard, yeah? Absolutely, it did. Um, So I had, you know, started to make some progress. I thought I was doing okay, and... um, had just sort of instinctively started sort of a, a modified, you know, no contact. And yeah. but it was like a week into April that I um, was checking my phone bill online, like my online, our, and we had, you know, cell phones connected to the same account. And I I was able to see the, you're able to like look up the, the usage for text messaging from each phone. And you can see the numbers that go back and forth and the times that they come in. So from that, I saw, oh, the the constant texting from this one number back and forth all day, you know, up until 1 a.m. In the, in the morning. And I just, like, it was like, oh, you know, I don't know how to describe that moment of, um you know, I knew that that was her, and I called the number, and it was her answering machine. And um, yeah, I went into that utter, total like I was going to die again. I was just going to die. Mm-hmm. It was three days of that, you know, back into the 
and people were worried again, you know, what are we going to do? Um, yeah, there's no feeling like it, is there? It's just, it's, it's so how, because this was really, like, this was rock bottom. This is, you know, like, you've been so brave, you've carried on, you've survived, but that's when it really, really hit you. So how did you find the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Program? It was amazing because I remember it was, you know, I saw the texting on a Thursday night and Sunday Sunday morning I was able to go for a walk by myself and I just was in, you know, constant prayer. Like, you, I have to be released from this attachment to him. I have to get better. I have to get better. This is going to kill me and I have to get better for my kids. And um, I prayed and prayed and then that night... I did a, a search, a Google search for um, uh, recovery from a relationship addiction, and your your website came up, and I and I clicked on it, and I I didn't even know, like I didn't know what narcissist was, and I like I would not have dreamed of calling my husband, who was my husband, narcissistic or abusive even though that was clearly happening, but I couldn't have done that because I thought we were in this marriage. And um, uh, But when I read through everything, you know, I knew right away. And and I knew I had to get better, and I was, I saw the testimonials, and so I ordered the program right away. Um, the next morning, I started the, the modules. Within a week, I read all seven e-books, and was listening to a radio show um, every day, sometimes more than that. I was doing the, and I was just amazed. I, I literally, like, just remember being kind of like, energy, what, how does this work? And, like, feeling the energy go through my body. I had never really had that experience, and it was really, really neat. And, um and I could just feel myself getting better. And I was still, you know, there was a lot of terror and, like, desperation for a long time. Like, I have to get better. And, and like, um, so, but really quickly, I did start to get better. I did I did the NARP for um, about um, nine, nine weeks Um and then, oh, and then, but halfway, just only a couple weeks into it, I found the, the goal setting, and I um, I used the goal setting one to, to help myself <laughs> find the courage and be able to release the fear and resistance to, um, to launch this Kickstarter campaign, which I had um, put together in order to be able to raise the funding to record an album. And the, it was really profound. I think I only did that one or two times, and I I couldn't believe how much it helped me uh, be able to, to do that, that campaign and get successfully funded. It was really amazing. Mm, and just to explain to people, in NARP, there's a goal-setting module, which means that you can actually set an intention, an intention which is a very powerful creative expression of what you want to be or do and then you can get to clear all of the energy resistance that's stopping you being that goal so that you can flow forward and claim the goal that you want to create. So that's what that's what the goal setting is about. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. so continue on. Okay. So that was really neat, and I, um, like I said, I would read every blog article, <laughs> listen to every radio show, and I was kept waiting to do the, the 30 days to New Year, and I, and I know, like, no, I'm not, I'm not there yet, but eventually by June I did do it. I felt like I had come through enough of the, of the um, NARP, and so I did that, and it was really amazing. Like I, uh, it was a lot of work and I would often um, just like I, my natural tendency is to feel afraid <laughs> no I don't want to do more work or you know I don't think I'll be good enough I won't know how to do it and but I do it anyway because I have to I know I have to so I'm gonna survive so I did that and I found it really really enlightening with the codependency and um, so I continued through the summer and then and then throughout the summer, I also was recording my album, which was extremely healing for me. And because um, it, it was, I I knew it was just going to be um, like a half album of of songs that were about this journey of my marriage and the um, and what I went through. Yeah, because you nearly because you nearly slipped and went back, and that can happen to so many people that happened to me in my first narcissistic abuse experience. I did an enormous amount of healing and then, then nearly went back. Uh, mm-hmm. Second one, fortunately, no, definitely not. But a lot of people do in the community, even people that might be on NARP, can slip and we think we're better and we think we can handle it and we think it's going to be okay. And, yeah, so just a little bit about that. What happened there? Um, well, like I... Um I just could not seem to, uh, something that would confuse me with um, law of attraction and everything was like, well, how come, you know, almost anything can be made manifest, but then why can't he get better? Why can't my energy get him better? Really, that's what I would struggle with. And and, and I felt that way with, in, in every, like I was still doing like my Al-Anon program as well. Like, well, how come he can't get better? How come I can't? relationship um and so i would still like for the sake of my kids i i felt and i really believed in marriage and i was really afraid of what that would look like for them to not have their dad be you know in their life and i was that, that was so so painful and the tender moments the things that i thought were real really 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 hard for me to let go of Mm, so you were still struggling with that right up until uh in august Mm -hmm. and and in august you said that you got onto the transforming family of origin uh wounds you got into that mini course and and that's why i created it so much because i really recognized within myself that there were some key things from my childhood that were really causing my hooks that had kept me, which created my second narcissistic experience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so just explain, you know, when you worked that, what did you find? What did you, what clicked in for you? Oh, my goodness. It was really powerful and very quick, too. Like, um, I, I realized, like, especially when I saw your list of the source energy downloads and with the... Um, 
the divine female energy represented and the divine male. And it was kind of like this amazing realization that for the past nine months, coincidentally, I had been in like this sheltered, you know, womb-like state of self-care and really working on the on the um, unconditional self-love and acceptance. And I felt like I really had made a huge amount of progress with that, having been a perfectionist and not ever being able to, you know, be good enough for myself. And that I really felt that that had shifted. But I couldn't, I couldn't understand, well, what's going on? Why am I still, why would I still want to go back to a person like this? Like, why is my self-esteem that low? Uh, But I couldn't change it. That just was, that just was what it was. And I really discovered in there through the um, family of origin when I started working on um, my my the male the men in my life, and and it was combined too because the, there was an, an aspect to the female too. But what I found was just the um, that you know my alcoholic dad had been completely absent in my life. He himself had a very low self esteem. I had been um, sexually abused by a number of his friends throughout my childhood, and um, and not protected, not stopped by you know, and um, and I found the, so, and then the the my I had a lack of my mom's dad had died when she was 11, so I didn't have that grandpa. Um, my dad's dad I saw a couple times before he died, um, so there was a real lack of you know a strong male presence in my life and. And we did live, I grew up with this uncle who was very odd and um, mentally challenged, I think, in ways, and uh, like arrested development. And so it's kind of like, huh, that was my, (laughs) those were my male role models. What a surprise. And then the unconscious patterns that just keep playing out, and then we're attracted to and addicted to those same patterns. Yeah. Unconsciously, and that's what those huge, big pulls and things that just don't make sense mm-hmm. are about. Yeah, and I could really see like why we were attracted to each other. He, he was lacking in like a nurturing mother, and I loved that was like a strength for me to be a caretaker. Yes. Yes. And, yes. And then he couldn't accept it because he'd never healed that wound. Yes. He had to reject it. Yes. And that I was, you know, he had been raised by a dad, so he had more, even though I think that it was like a false sense of self-worth, now I can see that, but he had that, like, that, uh, it was, it was a lot stronger than mine, so. Mm, mm. And that's it, you know, all these matches that come together, they're either going to be matches that come from our healed adult self, or they're going to be matches that come from our unhealed child wounded self. Yeah. And that's what we want to clean up. Otherwise, we keep living the pain and the patterns. So after you cleaned that stuff up, when you when you shifted it out and you transformed it inwardly, how did that feel? What was the difference? Oh, it felt really amazing and really cleansing. And um, I, oh, I tell you, I just can't even believe that I am now at a place where I was really able to see and. And what what's amazing is that he wasn't even being hostile when I last had contact with him. It was it was like our it was like the best of our times together, and it but um, but I could really 
oh, just see that I could not have contact with him at all because I would do well. I would make progress. And then any time, if I got a text from him, it was just I could not do that because I realized even though he didn't seem like a, I was not safe with him. I was just not safe. And, and, and it wasn't even like an outwardly abusive thing anymore. It was just, um, I was, you know, it was a hook for me. So I was able to really instill the no contact. And I told him, I can't have contact with you. And I, and he continued to text me, which would normally be like a pull for me, like a hook, like, oh, I want to get involved in that. And I just had this new sense of self-worth that was just simply not there before. And I could not have created it. Believe me, I tried. (laughs) Um, And it was just, I was like, you can't contact me. You have to do any communication through your aunt. And it's very different, isn't it, when it's not just a head-level thing, like I know I should do this, but when it's a body thing, when it's a knowing, when you've embodied that shift and you're just not that person anymore, then it's just easy, firm, natural, solid without the agony and the torment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just this ability to, I mean, this release from, like, underneath everything, there was still this deep, deep, deep-seated secret hope, whether it was that to see his life fall apart or waiting for their relationship to fizzle out and him to come to realize, like, still that would hang on. And it's just, I don't care anymore. I'm not waiting for that. I'm not waiting for anybody. It's truly a miracle. I, there was no way I could have made myself get there without without doing this work that just worked, you know. So, yeah, exactly. It cha- it saves our life. It changes our life. It saves our life. Absolutely. So, truly, things have turned around for you now, Stephanie. They have. Like, yeah. share some of these things that are, sure. are your life now. Um, well, um, I guess I'd like to say that just this past weekend I was I was with my family of origin, like my brothers came to visit, and I just could not believe that I was able to be so detached from the family patterns and the drama and just totally enjoy everybody. And I can, I still have a lot of boundaries around how long I stay and how much of that I can handle. I, I take it in small doses, but that that's miraculous. And um, the resentment and, you know, everything I felt towards some of them who I felt totally rejected by during this whole process and just I didn't need anything from any of them because I have it myself. Powerful uh, words. And and um yeah, and so uh just the incredible I mean it's amazing that I was able to record that album and move forward doing my passion because I I, I find that I absolutely have to support myself. His child support checks are very unreliable, and um, surprise, surprise. <laughs> What's well, not <It's> sarcasm? <laughs> For the government, surely it will be defendable now. That's not true. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, and and I, I was able to. I mean, I just it's amazing. I had had this vision of like being a wedding singer in a 
and a black dress and hoop earrings, like down to that. And I found myself doing exactly that for the first time um, about two weeks ago, oh, and beautiful. just getting more more gigs like that. And it's 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 going to be a balancing because I I you know have to figure out how I can make that continue to work with without you know disturbing the um, my kids' stability too much. But but it's just pretty amazing that that's happening. Um, especially this quickly after, you know, <laughs> the total trauma and crisis. Um, you know, the aunt that I live with at, at this time just will say, like, I do not know anybody who went through what you went through and and came out making an album like that that fast. <laughs> and um, and um, that's through working this program. And, and, and then uh, the amazing thing is um, a couple just bought a little house for me and my kids to rent. And it's like Aww. I had this all these years of having a house with a fenced in yard and it's a tiny it's a cute little house, but it's a house. It's not Aww. you know, it's a it's a it has a fenced in yard. It's beautiful. These people are fixing it up, you know, all these men in there every day fixing it up from the community because they want a place a safe place for me and Aww. my kids. In my life, and and they're like, oh, there's nothing you can do that would make us evict you, and like I just, oh my goodness, it's such a huge difference <laughs> from the you know anxiety that I was always in, not and would be paid, and so that's really and amazing. It's so true. When we create that inner security, then life starts presenting the outer security. Yeah. Yeah, and the, that's the, the, the outer matches the inner always. And that's why I say to people all the time, you know, when they email me and when they contact me and they say, how do I change this? How do I change this? You know, all the awful stuff that goes on with narcissistic abuse. And I feel like a broken record because I say to people, go inside. Don't try and fix anything while your inside is in tatters. Fix yeah. your inside. And when you fix your inside, the outer will show up for you. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I didn't do anything for it. It like I was just totally not looking for it anymore. I was content with where I was and then it just came. It literally just came and um the house and uh and I just find more and more down to the smallest details of whenever that anxiety comes up, it's just a I you know, a surrendering of, of um that I'm not in charge of that and just it's 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 very profound it's very amazing so totally your story is amazing Stephanie so Stephanie what would you okay there are a lot of people in the community that have had codependency at this level relationship addiction at this level I was one of them it nearly killed me absolutely there's people out there that I know that it's killing Okay, and you went through that too. What would you suggest to these people that they should they should do? Absolutely, um, just commit yourself. No matter how you know afraid or whatever the whatever the programs are that keep you from doing it, just go in there and do the NARP program again and again, and work on the inner. Um, do the thirty days or. Every program Melanie has, I have found really, really amazing and taken me to the next level. And um, and absolutely, you know, whatever supplements throughout the day, because I found I needed that. I needed to have 
the message constantly to, um, you know, counteract whatever negative thought patterns would come up. Read all you can read. Um, get involved with the 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 uh, support online, the Facebook page. But it really is in that inner work. And what I have learned from that is, like, I'm the person who thinks I have to do it all and, oh, I have to change it. And it's really, you do need that that drive to go in and do the work. But then it's a surrender to just letting the work, you know, trusting that it's going to work and allowing it to, to work on you, you know. Um, trusting the process of the of the NARP program. Like when I'd go in there and just have to really... Okay, Melanie says she's she's doing this part, and I don't have to do anything. I'll trust her. <laughs> so I think, oh, I have to go in and change my thought patterns. Like just trust. Like oh, that that um, the energy works. It really does. It's really amazing. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing with everybody. It's an amazing story. It's amazing you're here. You're well. You've created this beautiful album. You've got beautiful children. And in the video, you look so radiant. That's what so many people were saying to me. They're saying, oh, my gosh, she looks amazing. She looks amazing. And you're going to get to see it, and you should be so proud of it. And the name of it is And So We Came Home to Love, which is your complete and utter story. You came home to loving you. That's what it's all about. So thank you, Stephanie, so much for sharing and coming on. And and we would love you to um, answer any questions or comments on the blog. Would you be able to do that for people? Absolutely, I will. Yeah, I thought you would. <laughs> Gorgeous. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Will you have a lovely night? And uh, we'll be talking soon. Okay, thanks so much, Melanie. Okay, bye-bye. Good night. Okay, so I hope that you enjoyed that story, and uh, and you know this is very important what Stephanie's been talking about, which is the family of origin stuff. And I put out an article last week, which was how I let go of the biggest things that hurt, and that was very much about recognizing our inner reflection about what we have been co-creating within narcissistic abuse relationships and our radical responsibility to have a look at what our unconscious patterns have been within us that have actually co-created this experience and how we can deeply, deeply take that radical responsibility to heal our patterns, which is what Stephanie has done. So in mind of that, on the blog that's coming out tomorrow, a lot of people did email me after the last article that came out and they said, are you going to be doing the NARP and the Family of Origin mini course special again? Because we've really realised we want to work on this stuff and can you present that special again? So I've decided to do it. So you'll see on the blog tomorrow that there's going to be a few days of the special where you can actually get NARP and the Family of Origin uh, Wounds mini course together at a, at a greatly reduced price or if you've already gotten up you can get the mini course uh, at a discounted price as well so I really you know I hope you're inspired by Stephanie's story and just how severe and how deadly codependency can be until we can heal those inner childhood wounds that are keeping us hooked into abuse 
So that's it for me, everybody, and have a wonderful day or evening. Lots of love, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.